this whole prayer, I think 26 verses is how much, we won't cover it all today. We maybe not even get half of it today. There's so much here. And I still feel like as much as I've read it, I still feel like this prayer is so far above me. So don't feel like once Pastor Steve teaches on this that, well, got that wrapped up. I mean, you can spend a lot of time thinking about the things that Jesus prayed about. So please don't think that somehow I'm giving you the final answer on these things. But here's what I can tell you, that in the first five verses that we just read, the word glory is used five times, once uh, per verse, so to speak, but five times in five verses. In the next five verses, I'm sorry, in the next three verses, the word given is used three times. uh, Scratch that. Let me start over. Next three verses, given, used five times. And in verses 9 to 19, in 11 verses, you've got the word world used 13 times. And I do word counts when I read because I want to see what's being repeated because what's repeated is usually what it's about. That's a real good Bible study technique for those that are interested. See what words are repeated because that's probably what Jesus is talking about or probably what the epistle writer is talking about. So I pay attention. Glory, five times in five verses. Now, he's about to be crucified. And, and, the, and what's on his mind, it, and that's what he says. He says, Father, the hour has come. Now, since John chapter 2, remember the wedding at Cana? He says, you know, what is, what, what is that to you, woman? My hour has not come. Speaking to Mary when they ran out of wine, he says, my hour has not come. And, and on through John 7 and John 8, and I think John 14, uh, all of these are places where Jesus said, my hour has not come. It's not time yet. My hour has not come. He still had things he was doing. And now he says, Father, the hour has come, and now it's time. God is all about timing. He's all about timing in your life. See, we would hurry things up, right? Come on, God, you're working too slow. And God says to me, wait for it, Steve. Wait for it. The hour's not yet come for that. And this is not just the hour, you know, uh, in terms of Jesus' earthly ministry. This This is the hour historically, the crucifixion, the resurrection, this is, this is it. This is a historical landmark, this hour. And, and it's come. Jesus isn't fearing it. He's not running from it. I mean, you know how that feel like I got a test to take tomorrow. And then you go in, you know, you're studying all week or for weeks and it's finals. And then you go in to take the test. You're like, oh, the hour has come. You know, oh, I'm so scared. I don't want to take this test. The hour has come. And it's just very matter of fact. The hours come. And what's the first thing he prays for in his prayer? He says, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. And we're talking about glory. Now, now that's a word we use a lot, but I think we are sketchy on what it means. In the Old Testament, the word glory is the word kabod. It's Hebrew. And it means really weight. It means, the, it means weight. And so something that is glorious is something that's given a lot of weight or that is very weighty. And if you've ever been in the presence of someone who the world considers great, uh, there's, a, there's a heaviness, there's a, a weight of their presence in the room. You know, maybe a CEO of a company or an entertainment star or somebody. It's like, whoa, there's a heaviness, there's a weight to it. There's a glory about it. Just like our picture of cornhole, the glory. The, see, the weight of our foot on the chest. Uh, In the New Testament, uh, there's a different word that's used, uh, a Greek word, and and it just means opinion or having a high opinion or a good opinion. Um, And, and of course, it it, it means so much more than that as well. Uh, This means honor. 
And what's so interesting to me about this is I think in every human, in every human heart, there is that desire for glory. And I, I, I feel it, and I think you do too. We all picture ourselves greater than we really are. I mean, you know, I stepped up to bat Calvary versus Calvary yesterday on the softball field. And I was looking at that fence, and I had my bat, and I could just picture myself swinging, and there it goes. I could see it leaving the bat, and it's flying, and everybody in the stands is going, that was Pastor Steve. He can hit, and I'm running the bases, you know, just glory and you can just picture it and and we all we you know that feeling we do it or i'm really alone in this <laughs> is it just me sign me up for counseling i know it's true because i've watched you parents on the field i've watched parents try to get glory from their children try to live and, and receive glory by the success of their children on the field. Haven't you seen that? You see the way parents, fathers especially, go to great lengths to make sure their kids are the best, they get the best, they do the best. Why? Because that reflects on me as a parent. And we know the truth, or, or whether it's grades. And we talked this week at the youth retreat. The youth were honest about the pressure that they feel to succeed. And I'm afraid that that pressure comes because of the need for glory of parents. Don't, don't derive glory from your kids. The problem is we all fall short of the glory of God. We all fall None of us are ever going to have that kind of glory. None of us are ever going to live in a way, in such a way that is, is equal to the glory of God. We all have sinned, the Bible says. Jesus is the only one that can say, glorify me with the glory I had. He's glorious. His, he is glorious in his nature. He's perfect. He's the one that can run the bases and go, yeah, I finished the race. I've done it. So, but, but he never prays. He doesn't, he, he doesn't say, he, he never, Jesus never glorified himself. He, never, he didn't call the disciples around after the Sermon on the Mount and say, guys, what do you think of my sermon? That was pretty good, wasn't it? You'd admit it. You learned something. Admit it, I was spot on. I mean, you know it, right? He never, he never, he was a carpenter, not a fisherman, right? Never fishing for compliments. He was never about selfish ambition. He only did what the father told him to do. He was never looking. Listen, William Shakespeare wrote a poem. You guys know it, right? And it begins, I think I wrote it down here, begins with all the world's stage and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances. And one man in his time plays many parts. And, and the poem goes on from there. The question for me as I was reading John 17 was, who's your audience? That's the question. Yeah, all the world's a stage. We're all playing a part. The question is, who are you playing the part for? Because the Pharisees, they were hypocrites. They played to the audience of humankind. That's who they were looking for the cheers from. That's who they were looking for the glory from. Not Jesus. He was not uh, Im impressed by impressing people. He was not, he didn't say, oh man, when they get a load of this miracle, I'm going to raise this guy from the dead and they're going to come over here and they're just going to be amazed with me. He, you get into ministry, you know, you have to be careful. I know a lot of people I've met, they're in ministry for the wrong reason. You cannot be in ministry for the glory of people because people are fickle. 
And it's the totally wrong motivation. You're gonna, it's going to lead you to do wrong actions and think wrong things. And, and it's just awful, awful, awful when you're in ministry for the glory of people. And it will never, it is what I call a non-sustainable practice. You can't, you can't live that way. And that Jesus, Jesus couldn't have survived that way because he was rejected, despised and rejected by man. But all of his actions, listen, that's what it says. It's what he reveals here. He says, glorify your son. See, he didn't say, I'm going to glorify, glorify myself. He said, you glorify me. You have, God, I want you to glorify me. And the purpose of that is that your son may glorify you. And that's that father, son. You know, Jesus' life brought glory to God because he only did what God said. He, so he couldn't take any credit himself, so to speak, because whatever he did, whatever he said, all began with God. That should be the story of your life. What I love about this is he's saying glorify your son because everything that he's about to go through with the cross is absolutely and utterly, and I hope you get the depth of this, absolutely and utterly humiliating. Never has a human being been humiliated. And you may think that that time you walked out of the bathroom with toilet paper on your shoe, that that was humiliating. Nothing. We, we were in the airport not to, on the way back from Europe, and poor woman, she came out of the bathroom, and she had a big trail of toilet paper hanging from her pants. Oh, humiliating. But Jesus, you, you got Philippians 2 marked? Go there with me real quick. Because this is an extremely important principle. Philippians 2.5. One of the greatest passages in all the Bible. Actually, start back with um, start back with verse three. Let's get a running start to this, because all of this relates to what we're talking about. Verse three says, "Let nothing be done through selfish ambition." Let's read that again. Let nothing, let nothing, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. So many churches, so much problem. Why? Selfish ambition. I want my church to be bigger. I want my church to be more successful. I want my ministry to be noticed. Hey, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, that's humility, that's low, uh, low thinking um, in terms of your own place, being humble. In lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. You see, the problem we have in our world is not with self-esteem, it's with others' esteem. The problem is we esteem ourselves too highly, higher than others. That's why we think we deserve what, the, what they're getting. We deserve what they have because we esteem ourselves so highly. This is the issue with bullying, not self-esteem, others' esteem. The bully esteems himself better than the others the one who loads the gun and goes to school mad because he was picked on does that because he feels he deserves better i was picked on i and they're going to see i'm going to show them my glory right let others let, let let each esteem others better than himself let each of you look out not only for his own interests but for the interest of others Church isn't about the kind of music that you like and about the temperature you like. We got, you know, a couple hundred people in here. And we can't please everybody. 
So you're always thinking, what's best not just for me, but what's best for everybody? If I tend to be cold-blooded, <laughs> if I tend to be cold when I come to a place and, and, uh, and, and it, it's, it's abnormal, and I'll bring a jacket because I know I'm, I'm kind of not the norm. Let's look out for the interests of others. Now, how can Paul say all this? What's the proof of that? How do you, how do you back this up, Paul? He says, verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What mind? That mind of humility, that mind that looks out for others, that mind that thinks others better than himself. Jesus, he became poor so you could become rich. He esteemed you better than himself. He esteemed your life more important than his own. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He would, Jesus could say he was equal with God and it wouldn't rob God of anything. That's what Paul's saying. He has, it, would take, it would take nothing away from God for Jesus to say we're equal, because they were. They, they, are, they are equal. And, and having started there, he made himself, verse 7, of no reputation. He emptied himself. He took on the form of a bondservant. So not only did he empty himself, he became a slave. And he came in the likeness of men. And being the founder and the appearance of man, he humbled himself. He could have come in the appearance of men and become a king on earth. But he didn't, did he? He was a lowly uh, carpenter, born into a poor family. He humbled himself. And he became obedient even to the point of death. Not just any death, even death on the cross, which was the most humiliating death anybody could die. The, the cross was there. It was meant to humiliate so that someone would see the cross and be intimidated and said, I don't want to do what he did. I don't want that punishment. And they would walk you through the streets and, humili- and then they would put the cross. The cross was not up on a beautiful hill with three crosses and everybody went, oh, the sun was setting in the background. We beautify it. The cross was right on the streets. Right on, it'd be like putting it right on, on right at the, the entrance to Food Lion, right there, on the crossroads of commerce. Everybody would walk by and see him, the man that clearly God has cursed. Cursed is the man who hangs on a cross, the Bible says. And so humiliating, humiliating, even to the point of death on a cross. And then look at that word in verse 9, therefore, because of the extent to which he had humbled himself. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and those in heaven, and those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Back to John 17. To the glory of God. That's what Jesus is saying. What Glorify me, so that I can glorify you. And what is going to bring God glory through Jesus' life? The extent of his humility and then being resurrected from there is the extent to which God is glorified. And it's the same is true in your life. God gives grace to the humble, but he humbles the exalted. And, and you know, Think about it. This is a theme, and I want to make this point. I'm belaboring this, and I don't care if we only get five verses done today. This is so important because we eat this theme up at the movie theater, don't we? We love Rocky. Why? Because he got beaten down and beaten down and beaten down, and what did he do then? He rose, and he came back. We love that theme, don't we? 
There is something in us that loves that glory. We love to see it. But as, as, uh, as was written um, in common, common sense by Thomas Paine, the greater the struggle, the greater the victory. The greater the humility of the life. This is why God, we were talking about this with the youth, this is why God chooses to use those of low birth, those that are weak, those that have nothing the, 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 to attract them from the worldly standpoint. Actually, in, in 1 Corinthians 1, the, world is moron, uh, the word is morons in the Greek. Morona, moron, uh, which is the Greek word, which that, that's who God chooses to use, morons. What's that say about us? Uh-huh, I'm not sure I like the Bible anymore. Doesn't have the same connotation we give it, but the idea is, is um, one who the world esteems very low. Now, can a rich person get saved? Yeah, absolutely. Plenty of rich people, plenty of wealthy people, plenty of powerful people that do get saved, but it's harder for them because they have more at risk because they got there oftentimes by selfish ambition. I worked hard for this spot, you know, I, and, and so they're doing the world's thing. And here, Jesus says, glorify your son. After all that humility, after all that, that, that humility of the cross, he's going to be raised from the dead. That your son may glorify you. And that should be the story of your life, right? Lord, I want to live in such a way. I want to do my works with such humility, with such lowliness, not pointing to myself, not drawing attention to myself, not living for selfish ambition. I want to live in such a way that when anything good happens, when God uses me for anything, that clearly, God, you get the credit. That your son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is what Jesus came to do. There's only one source. Listen, there's only one source for eternal life. And, and we're going to define eternal life in the next verse. Look at verse 3. And this is eternal life. Isn't that nice? That's handy. I love it when the Bible answers the question. This is eternal life. That they may know you. The only true God. And Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life folks. Eternal life is knowing God. Some of us we have this wrong erroneous impression. That eternal life is what happens when I die. That so I, I you know. I die and then I have eternal life. But that's not what Jesus just said, is it? Eternal life is not a quantity, it's a quality. It's a type of life that's lived. It's the living the life of God now. So that when I, don't believe him when they say Steve died. I just moved. I, mo- I packed up my tent and I moved into my dwelling place in heaven. Because I'm already living eternally now. I'm living for eternal things now. I want to be. Living for eternal things now. I want to be living in the presence and the relationship with God now. And when I die, it's just a transition. Are you living eternally? Can, can, have you come to Jesus to get that eternal life, that, that type of life, that quality of life that then leads to a quantity? But the idea is, is that Jesus is the one. He is the source of of life. Everybody has a biological life. Everybody has an emotional life.
but not everybody has a spiritual life. The question is, do you? Only comes from Jesus. This is eternal life, that they may know you. And that's knowing on an intimate level. Not just know, it doesn't say that they may know about you. You know, you guys know about my wife Helga, but I know her. I can finish your sentences after 19 years of marriage. Sometimes. Sometimes I go, oh, what's she thinking? <sighs> you get the idea? Because, you know, look, I talk to people all the time. I love talking to people about the Lord because there's so much confusion. There's so many wrong ideas, so many misconceptions that some, somewhere, someday, I said a prayer and that's the last thing I've had to do with anything spiritual, and I, but I'm going to heaven. And I don't want anybody to be uh, under any false pretenses. Uh, and the same way, you're also not saved by living a perfect life and reading the right Bible and wearing the right suit and all those things. None of that has to do with anything. This is eternal life, that you might know God and His Son Jesus. Do you know God? Do you know Him? Have you learned of Him? Have you spent time with Him in His Word and in prayer? And if you can say, yes, I've accepted, I've entered into a relationship with God, then you have entered into eternal life. That's what the Bible says, isn't it? Let's go a little bit farther. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. Can you say that? Could, can you say that for yourself? Or have you spent more time glorifying yourself? You know, succeeding at the things that people are impressed with. Because look, the things that impress people don't impress God. The things that impress God don't impress people. And that's just, the, I didn't decide it that way. It's just the way it is. You know, I watch the Tour de France and I see him come across the finish line, hands raised. Like, oh, that would be cool. But in the end, who cares? You know, where's Greg LeMond these days? I don't know. He was all the man in the biking world years ago. Now, some of the kids probably don't even... The kids don't know who the Beatles are. Like, how many... Oh, I won't ask one. But you tell the kid. You ask the kids, you know, I, I use... The Beatles. They go, where? Where are they? Where? <laughs> Beatles. Oh, I'm scared of bugs, you know? Beatles. I mean, they were all the glory of the Beatles. John Lennon gunned down. Singing the song, Imagine. Imagine. I can imagine it, John. It's in the Bible. All the world living as one under the righteousness of Jesus Christ reigning and ruling in the kingdom. I can imagine that. It's hard to today, boy. It's hard to. But the question is, can you say with Jesus... I have glorified you on the earth. Can you say with Jesus, I have finished the work which you have given me to do? Maybe you're too bad. I finished the work my boss gave me to do. I read a, a sign in a, uh, when I was working in, with horses. There was a sign in the barn that said, there's so, much to, there's so much work to still be done that the light at the end of the tunnel has temporarily been turned out or turned off. You know, you know, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. It means you're, you're kind of almost done. Now we turn that thing off. There's so much work to do. 
Everybody's got work for us to do. Everybody's busy. Jesus said, I'm busy about my father's business. Again, who's your audience? Who's your audience? I'm just just asking the questions. You know, you got to answer them for yourself, just like I have to. You know, God called me into ministry. I was having a great time shoeing horses. I felt the top of my, my game, you know. God says, yeah, I begin to see some fruit in Bible studies. God says, I want you to be a pastor. He's like, I'll do anything else. Don't make me be a pastor. I, I wouldn't want to do anything else now. That's my story. What's your story? Maybe God's using you right where you are. You know, God doesn't call everybody to leave where they are. He did me. But he may just call you to glorify him where you are. You're saying, oh, I need a new job. Everybody here is not Christian. Well, maybe that's why God put you there. Somebody's God needs a witness there somehow. Someone's got to do it. A lot of you ladies and some of you guys, you're married to unbelievers. That's hard. But the Bible says that the, 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 the wife who is saved sanctifies the, the family. Thank God that there's someone saved in the household. That's a hard, that's, that can be very difficult. I know, I've seen the, the tears and, and heard the stories and I know the difficulty. But can you say, what, what work, Lord, what work have you, give, have you given me to do? And I want to be doing that work. I want to somehow work that into my life. And he could say, I finished it. I did it. I, Lord, it's time now. I finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you, when? Before the world was. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the word was God. He humbled himself. From that. And now, no doubt, looking forward to being, having finished his work on earth, the, on the cross, he will say, it is finished. The ultimate humility, the ultimate sacrifice. And talk about the ultimate glory, that his humility would save many, would, would he would die for the whole world. Now that's glorious. And when he rises from the dead, and, the, and it all changes everything. Without the resurrection, the cross is just humiliating. But with the resurrection, it's glorious. The greater the struggle, the greater the victory. The greater the humility, the greater the exaltation. But not in the world, only from God. Who's your audience? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we have so many messages uh, to hear in this world. And uh, you gave us an amazing, frightening example, Lord, of humility. The one who had the greatest glory to come and and willingly accept and take on himself the greatest humility. Lord, I pray for all of us in this room that we would learn of these things, figure these things out for ourselves. So busy are we trying to get people to accept us and, and honor us and give us glory. So much do we glorify human things, Lord, athletics and entertainment, 
But Lord, help us to be conscious of the work you've given us to do. We pray now, Lord, for the missionaries, for the people serving in obscure places whose names nobody knows, who lay down their lives regularly through persecution, through sickness, to serve, Lord. In obscure places with no glory, Lord, I cannot wait to see, Lord, how they will be glorified in heaven. On earth, they were nobodies. Matter of fact, your word talks about those of whom the world was not even worthy. Lord, help us to live this out. Thank you for your prayer and for the truth that we read. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to stand and and sing a final song. And uh, um, if somehow this is ministered to you or you're challenged by it, uh, by eternal life or by humility or by any of these things, uh, we have a prayer room over to the side. It will be open. Uh, We'll have some folks in there to pray with you. If you're in need of healing, physical, spiritual, family, marriage, anything, This is a place where you can receive the grace of God. We're not here to judge you. We're not here to condemn you. We're here because we know exactly how you feel. Amen? We've been there. And so we just want to invite you to be healed, to be free, to be accepted, and to be loved. Amen?